with you as well. Thank you for being here. Well, it is a question that I have heard throughout the years. It's the question of where are the instruments? Has someone ever asked you that question before? People walk into this building and they typically will look around and say, I see some chairs up here, I see some plants, but where's the piano? Or where are the drums and where are the guitars? Where are the instruments? One sister mentioned this to me a few weeks ago. She had invited someone and they came to worship services and they asked her that question, where are the instruments? Where's the music? To that, the sister responded by saying, we are the music. And I love that response. That's a great response, right? If you have your Bible, look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, and then Ephesians 5 and verse 19, we are told, we are instructed, we see that we are to sing. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16, the Bible says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And we've been singing this morning. It's been great to be able to sing praises to God, isn't it? Isn't it powerful to sing praises to God and to make melody from our heart? That's what, that's what we're required to do. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what Paul would also say essentially in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19. In Ephesians 5 and verse 19, he said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. You see, this is what we find in the Word of God. This is what we find in the New Covenant. The issue about instrumental music is an issue really about Bible authority. What we have and what we don't have in our worship assembly as we gather here together each first day of the week is based upon what God has authorized us to do, and which means that we need to listen to him. The topic of authority may not be a popular topic in the world, but should always be a very important topic for all of us. Would you agree with that? This past year, within the last 12 months, I should say, I've been able to preach uh, a number of sermons really dealing with this idea of Bible authority. How does God speak to us? We did a lesson talking about that. We talked about the inspiration of the scriptures. We talked about unbiblical attitudes toward the scriptures. Most recently, I did a sermon called What Jesus teaches us about authority. But it hasn't just been here in the pulpit where I've talked about this. This is something that that our young people need to understand as well. Our past devos in the spring for our junior high and high school students, we talked about Bible authority as well. And we talked about many of those same issues and establishing Bible authority. This was something that was noted on the survey. And certainly we have talked about this quite a bit. And it's good for us to continue to talk about the topic of Bible authority, because there's often a lot of confusion when it comes to the issue of Bible authority. I will remind you, and many of you may be familiar with this text, if you go back real quickly here in Colossians chapter 3, we looked at verse 16. Now go back and let's look at verse number 17. We are reminded that what we do, it's not up to us, but rather it's up to God. And so what we do, we need to make sure that we are doing it according to God's will. If you remember what Kevin said during the, the opening announcement as we began our worship, this is about God. And it's about being pleasing to him and being reverent to him and worshiping him. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so this is something that we need to understand. The good news is we can understand the will of God. 
we can know the will of God and how it is he wants us to worship him and how it is he wants us to even live our lives on a daily basis. And so this topic is important, and I want to talk, it, talk about it quite a bit because everyone, or for the most part, most churches today that are using a Bible, and yet there's lots of different things that are taking place in these, in these different churches. And so while many people are using the Bible, it's often the case that the Bible is not properly being used. And so a lack of understanding with respect to Bible authority is where much confusion arises in denominationalism and at times even among God's people. And so this morning, I want us to kind of go back to the basics I want us to talk about establishing Bible authority. We've talked about a variety of things pertaining to the authority of the Scriptures. Now let's talk a little bit about how do we actually go about establishing Bible authority. There's going to come a point in time where you're going to have to help your children to understand this, or as they're getting ready for school one day or throughout the years, they're going to need to know this. And we all need to be reminded about how we go about establishing Bible authority. So let's talk about it uh, for a few minutes here. I want to begin first by addressing this question here. How does God authorize a practice? If someone were to ask you that question, how would you go about answering that question? How does God authorize a practice? Well, God's manner of authorizing, as we'll talk about this, is self-evident by the very nature of the scriptures themselves. God authorizes by direct statement, by example, and also by implication. Now, these are the ways that we communicate as well. This is how we communicate. If I'm talking to Josh, it's going to be in one of these ways for me to be able to get my point across to him. And this is what we're going to find. If you go to Lowe's and buy some type of equipment or something like that and open up the instruction manual, this is how you're going to be able to figure things out as well, through direct statement, example, or implication. And so it's the very nature of any kind of authority to speak or authorize in this way. And so let's talk about these three ways, direct statement, example, and or implication. Let's first begin by talking about direct statement. Here's what I mean when I say direct statement. God, this is where God has made a positive statement pertaining to the issue or thing at hand. God may tell us something to do or may he may tell us something not to do. The direct statement is sometimes also referred to as command or precept. One simple illustration of this is found in Matthew 28. And we're going to look at Matthew 28. Look at verse number 19 here. I want to give you guys a number of scriptures this morning for the sake of just illustrating this. And some of these are going to be very short. We're not necessarily going to dive into all the details in the passages. But I want you just to see how this works. So Jesus, prior to his ascension, spoke to his apostles. And remember, he's going to give them, or he gave them, their marching orders. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you just to notice that first word word there. He said, Go. Go therefore and make disciples. So Jesus told them what to do. He told them to go. The disciples, that's what they were supposed to do. And that's an example here of a direct statement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, we just got done partaking of the Lord's Supper here a few minutes ago, when Paul was rehearsing what it was that Jesus said when he instituted the Lord's Supper, I want you to notice what he said in verse 24. 
In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 20, actually let's start in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 and 24. Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Here it is. Do this in remembrance of me. And so that's a great example of this idea of a direct statement. Jesus told them, this is what I want you to do. Now look over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, we also see this idea as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12, we receive some instructions of what is not supposed to happen. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, listen to what Paul said here. And again, this is where a lot of confusion is found in religion today. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we find authority and the reason why we, we don't have women preachers. They are commanded not to exercise authority over a man. And so this is the idea of a direct statement. God establishes or authorizes things by direct statement, but he also authorizes things by an example. And that's the second thing I want us to consider here for a moment now. As we think about an example, this is where no direct statement exists. But God has shown us by the recorded actions that a certain thing is to be done or not to be done. And there's lots of examples that we could even think about. Something that's important is that as we think about this idea of establishing Bible authority, an example is no less binding. It's no less binding than a direct statement or command. It's another way that God authorizes. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Remember in Acts chapter 20, we find in Acts chapter 20, Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem in verse number 16. But he would remain in Troas in verse number 6 for seven days. Then in verse number 7, we find Paul gathering with other disciples to partake of the Lord's Supper. And what we find here, we find an approved example for us to follow today. We find that a congregation met on the first day of the week. Look at the text in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So, number one, a congregation met on the first day of the week to partake bread. It was under the oversight, careful oversight, of an apostle. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Now, we know that we are to do this, or we are to think of Christ as often as we do this. We are to do it in remembrance of him. And yet there is no direct statement or command in Scripture to partake on the first day of the week, but this example gives us our authority. And it is just as binding as a command. And so Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7 is a very powerful text, helping us to understand when and how often we should partake of the Lord's Supper. And so as we think of an example, that's something very important that we need to consider here, that we're talking about something that is approved. It's an approved apostolic example. One example not to follow is found in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, we find Peter, if you remember real quickly here, in Galatians chapter 2, Peter in verses 11 through 14, we won't read all of this, but remember in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, Peter was playing the role of a 
I'm a hypocrite. We don't follow that example, all right? So as we talk about examples, we're talking about approved apostolic examples. Paul would have to rebuke Peter in verse number 11 and 12 and have to make sure that he got back on track because his soul stood condemned. And so as we think about establishing a Bible authority, how does God establish authority? It's going to be through direct statement, and it's also going to be through example. And again, examples are just as binding as direct statements. That's something very important that we hold on to as well. So I told you the three ways that God authorizes through the scriptures, through direct statement, example, and then the third way is through implication. So let's talk about that for just a moment here. Direct statement, example, and implication. This is where God is not spoken by command or example, but where he authorizes by an implication contained in the language used. Sometimes we refer to this as necessary inference, although implication is not technically the same as necessary inference. Implication is what God has put in the language. God implies something that may not be expressed by a direct statement or an example. So inference is what we draw out or conclude from the language. It's a forced conclusion that one will reach. So when we think about implication, This is where the speaker implies, the hearer infers. The speaker implies, the hearer infers. It's important to note that as we think about these inferences, that not all inferences are legitimate, and that's why we talk about necessary inference. That's why we use that language, necessary inference. One example of this with respect to implication is found in uh, Matthew chapter 3. Look over in Matthew chapter 3 here. In Matthew chapter 3, and there's tons of examples that we find of this throughout the Word of God. And again, these are ways that we go about communicating. These are ways that we go about establishing authority as well. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 15 and 16, we find where Jesus was baptized. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, But Jesus answering said to him, Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. I think this is a great example to use because we see that Jesus came up immediately from the water. Although the scripture itself there doesn't say that he went down into the water, but it's implied that he did. And so by necessary inference, we can know exactly what that looked like and what he did. And so we can know it just as sure as if there was a direct statement that said it. Another example of this is in Hebrews chapter 10. Look over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. What we find here, the saints that the Hebrew writer was writing to, they were, well, they were engaged in a practice that they should not have been engaged in. Some of them were now forsaking the assembly. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, the Hebrew writer would say, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, I believe that we find authority in this text for a meeting place. And I think it's implied because the saints were told to assemble. And in order for them to assemble, they would have to have a place to meet. 
whether that place was by a tree or a building, some type of place would be required. And so this is the idea when we think about implication. We find implication quite a bit all or quite a bit through the scriptures. The speaker implies, the hearer infers. And so as we think about implication, sometimes it's called necessary inference. The speaker implies the listener and the listener infers. So when we think about establishing Bible authority, it's going to be through through one of these ways, through direct statement, through example, or through implication. But there's more to consider when we start thinking about Bible authority. We also need to talk about generic authority and specific authority. So let's talk about that just for a few minutes. And the last point there, not all inferences are legitimate, so we need to be careful with that as well. So as we talk about Bible authority, generic and specific authority become really important. I want to be sure that I'm clear with what I'm saying. There are three ways to establish Bible authority through direct statement, example, and implication. Now there are two kinds of authority generic and specific authority. So let's talk about those for just a moment here. When we think about generic authority, this is where a thing is authorized either by command, example, or implication, but the means for carrying it out have not been specified. This is the idea of generic authority. So remember back in Matthew 28 and verse 19, remember what Jesus said to his apostles? What did he tell them to do? He said, go. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples. He told them to go, but he did not specify a means for them going. So while he told them to go, it was a matter of choice with how they might go. They were at liberty to choose anything that was lawful, a lawful means of going. They could go by foot. They could go by an animal. We find in Acts chapter 20, look over in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 38, that the saints, they were uh, saying goodbye to the apostle Paul, and we see how Paul is going to go as he was doing the work of God. In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 38, the saints were all grieving together. They were grieving, especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So they could go either by foot or by an animal, by land, by a ship. That's the idea when we start thinking about generic authority. Go back to Matthew 28. I'm using that example quite a bit because I think it's pretty clear. Remember Jesus said to go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the apostles were instructed to to baptize individuals, but he did not specify where. And so it could be in a lake. Or a river or the ocean, all would be acceptable, making sure that that person could obviously be completely immersed in water. And so that's the idea of generic authority. And so when we think about authority, there's three ways to establish Bible authority and two kinds of authority. The first is generic authority. Now let's talk about specific authority. When we talk about this, this is where a thing is authorized by command example or implication and the means for carrying it out have been specified there's a distinction there the thing the means in carrying this out have been specified so specific authority excludes any means methods or substance of the same order or class as the thing authorized look at mark chapter 16 let's see if this will help us out as an example Mark chapter 16, again we find Jesus talking to his apostles in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, remember he said in verse number 15, 
He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So they were instructed to do what? They were instructed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what is specified. That is a specific message that they were to preach. So God gave them no other choice except to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same would be true for us today. Our responsibility is to preach and teach the word of God. Our responsibility is not to teach mathematics or the Quran or anything else like that. What has been specified to teach and to preach is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about generic and specific authority, this is the idea. Generic is where a thing is authorized by command, example, or implication, but the means for carrying it out have not been specified. Specific authority is where a thing is authorized by command, example, or implication, and the means for carrying it out have been specified. Now, I want you to think about something else here. When you really think about these ideas of authority or how we go about establishing authority and the kinds of authority, again, this is something that we use. This is how we communicate with one another. Generic and specific authority don't involve some special way of thinking that only applies to the Bible. And sometimes that can be the case that some people may have that, well, you guys are just trying to create your own special set of rules. We're not doing that at all. And just think about a couple of examples. If I were to invite a young man from the audience to come up here and to help me out with something, I'm not going to do that. But if I ask for a young man to come up here to, to help me out with something, this helps us to see, to understand this idea. Which young man am I referring to? Which young man could it be? Well, it could be any of the young men because I just said I need a young man to come up to assist me. And so that language itself is general in nature. But if I were to ask a young man named Johnny to come up and to, to come up and assist me with something here, well, now I've, I've been more specific. And that language is more directed towards that one individual. And so even the way that we communicate, this is how we go about communicating to help people to understand what is to be done. And so understanding this, when we talk about generic and specific authority, these are not things that we're just kind of creating in and of ourselves These are ways that we go about communicating and establishing things even in our own lives. And so understanding that there are three ways to establish Bible authority, Bible authority, and two kinds of authority. Understanding that goes a long way. And remember, there's a lot of confusion in the religious world because there's a lack of understanding about how God goes about establishing uh, what it is that he wants for us to do. So I want you to think about a couple, of, a couple more examples. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Look back in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, remember what we found there in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, what we have here, we have a time factor that, that is given to us. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So with respect to time, we know what is specified, right? That we are to partake of the Lord's Supper. We know the day of the week. We are to do this on the first day of the week. That is specific in nature. And I think that's an example of specific authority. Now, what would be generic about that? What would be generic about that? Well, you could say this that the hour of the day to partake would be generic. He specified what day of the week we are to partake, the first day of the week. It is generic in nature, 
depending on that time of the day, we've got to make sure we take it on the first day of the week. That's what we see there. Does that make sense? You guys see that? That's the idea as we talk about something that is specified and something that is generic. Let me give you another example here and, and the impact for us. We already read this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when you think about what is specified, we know that the kind of music that is specified. Uh, we're not using instrumental music. We're, we're singing. That is what has been specified. What could be described as generic, we could say something like the four-part harmony of a song which is something that we were doing earlier today. And so just understanding how this works in, a, in, a, in our application that we've already gone through today will help us to understand this idea of generic and specific authority. And so God authorizes in three ways, through direct statement, example, and implication. And there are two kinds of authority, generic and specific authority. And so as we think about that, that will help us to make sure that we are able to reach the proper conclusions about what we do and why we do the very things that we do. And so there are a variety of particulars to to any means of authority, things of, of who and when, where, how, or how many. All of these factors need to be considered. In each of these particulars, God is specified and things that he has not specified. And so whatever God has specified, made very clear, we have no choice. We have no option at all. And so this requires us to either obey God or disobey God. And so this is something very important for us to make sure that we understand. And so as we think about authority, three ways to establish Bible authority. Through direct statement, example, and implication. Two kinds of authority, generic and specific. Now let's talk about one last aspect as we think about Bible authority. I want to talk a little bit about the nature of aids or expedients. An aid is an, ex, uh, an expedient is an aid. An expedient aids me in doing or aids us in doing what God has directed us to do. And this is something important. Sometimes people have questions about, well, why do you have songbooks? And, and what about this projector up here? And what about the screen? Why do we have all these things? Where is our Bible authority for these things? Well, this is where aids are going to come in, and understanding this becomes really important. An aid expedites the carrying out of what God has authorized. And let me just give you a couple more thoughts here as we talk about aids. And when you think about this idea of of aids, they uh, expedite the carrying out of what God has authorized. An aid is something that is never specified, because if it was, it would not be an expedient. As we think about this as well, Aids, they have to be lawful. Just because something is effective doesn't mean that it will be allowed. And as you think about this concept of aids or expedients, when, when using an aid, one, when one is finished, they have done nothing more than what God has authorized. That becomes really important as well, that we have done nothing more than what God has authorized. And I think maybe just one of the best examples of this, if you're in one of the Bible classes in the back, And the teacher asks you to come up to the front of the class and to write something on the whiteboard. How are you going to do that? What will you need to carry out that request? You will need something, right? You'll need a marker or something to write on that board. That would be an aid for you to carry out what it is that they have asked you 
to do. Does that make sense? You guys see that? And that's the idea when we think about aids or expedients. Again, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus told his disciples to go, to go and to make disciples. And we've kind of talked about this already. They could carry out this uh, command as Paul did in Acts 20 and verse 38 by going on a ship. That's what he did in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 38. Now the ship is not specified in the command to go, but it's a means of going. And when Paul got on that ship to continue his journey and continue his work, he did nothing more than what was being commanded by Jesus. And so that's important as well for us to understand. And so his authority to use a ship would be found in that command to go, which is a generic command where the Lord did not specify the means for going. And so this becomes important when we start thinking about, and people sometimes have questions about this. Sometimes people have questions about this, and sometimes people are just looking to maybe trap someone with the issue of Bible authority, where they say, well, where's your authority? You do many things without authority. Remember that sermon from a few months ago? All right, that may be hard to do, but I talked about this a few months ago. I talked about the unbiblical attitudes that many people have. You guys do many things without authority. Well, if we're doing many things without authority, what does that mean? means a couple of things. One, we're wrong. And two, it means we've got to stop. And so sometimes people throw this out. Well, where, where's your authority for the projector? And where's your authority for the pews? And where's your authority for the songbooks and things like that? Think about a songbook. It's considered, it would be considered an aid. It helps us to, to sing, which we are authorized to do. Or the slides that we've used this morning. There's been lots of slides that we've used today. Slides with the words of the songs, those are nothing more than an aid. Now, do we have to absolutely use those? We don't have to absolutely use them, but they do help us to to carry out what it is that God wants us to do, I think, a little bit easier. And the more important thing to, to keep in mind is we have authority to use those. That's something important that we need to make sure. Think about the trays that we use to pass out the Lord's Supper and to take up the collection. Those are nothing more than an aid to help us to carry out what it is that God has given us. Now, here's why I'm going through all of this. Understanding an aid or an expedient is important because sometimes people will add something that could be described as an addition. And we don't want to go down that path, all right? And so as we think about this idea of additions, additions do not help us to do what it is that God has commanded us to do. Rather, when you think about additions, they add or may even substitute or take from the very thing that God has commanded us to do. And so one of the most popular examples of this, and I like this example, is in the Old Testament. We won't read it, but... Noah, God instructed him to use, to use gopher wood. He, was, he, he specified the type of wood that he wanted him to use. He was very clear with what he wanted him to use. If Noah picked up some pine wood and began using that, that would not be considered an expedient, but rather that would be considered an addition because God specified what it is that he wanted him to use. Now, nails and hammers and other tools, those would be things that could be an aid to help carry out the very command that God wanted Noah to do. So when we think about additions, additions do not help one to do what it is that God has commanded. And as you think about additions, rather an addition adds to or may even substitute and take from what God has commanded. And this becomes really important, and let me tell you why. Remember this whole idea of music. I talked about that at the very beginning. 
we are, we are instructed, we see that the saints in the first century, they, they sang. And so we're given the class of music. We are to sing. When we begin or when someone begins to add instruments into the mix, that is what you would call an addition. And therefore, that's, that's wrong to have. Because the class or the type of music has already been given to us. And the same would be true not just with instrumental music, but think about the Lord's Supper. We are given or told the elements that we're to use, unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. So we don't substitute that with water. I'm giving an extreme example, water and Oreo cookies, all right? We are to use unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. That's been clearly given to us. Now, Sometimes we can look at some of these sermons here and say, well, what's the big deal with this? The big deal is we need to make sure that we have a good grasp of this and make sure that we understand the significance of the authority of God. What God wants us to do is a really big deal. And you can just drive on West Main and you can see a variety of things that are taking place in churches. And it's because there's a lack of understanding when it comes to how do we go about establishing Bible authority, the kinds of Bible authority and the distinction between aids and additions. Now, that's a lot of information that I gave you, but I wanted to be very clear as we talk about this. And there are many more applications that we could make using what we have learned this morning about establishing Bible authority. I want to leave you with this. This idea of Bible authority is something that we need to take seriously. It's something that we need to continue to do, not just here on Sunday mornings, but in all the decisions and all the things that we do every day to make sure that we are pleasing to God, to make sure that we are doing what God wants us to do. And so as we think about establishing Bible authority, one, we can know God's will for us. We don't have to kind of walk around in the dark, and I don't know, is this what he really wants? We can know his will. That's what Ephesians 5 tells us. Two, as we think about this idea of Bible authority, let's make sure that we mind our king. Jesus is the one in charge, not us. It's not up to man to decide what it is that we want when it comes to worship. He is king, therefore we need to listen to him. And that's for those who are the people of God. And if you're not a child of God, you need to listen to Jesus. What Jesus says to do when it comes to salvation, he says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's not optional. That doesn't change even though man may change some of that. Our responsibility is to do exactly what Christ wants us to do. So let's make sure that we submit to his words and honor him in all the things that we do. And if there's someone here who needs to be saved this morning, we want to encourage you to be saved. Listen to Jesus. If you're subject to the invitation, come now as we stand and as we sing.
Thank you so much for participating in worship this morning. Please remain standing as we're led in a closing word of prayer and then as we have some announcements to follow. <laughs> 